0: Welcome to season four episode 25 of puck talk cs i'm chives alongside steve we have stanley cup semi-final coverage for you on all four series that are going on some drama in last night's games and the night before from a great weekend steve how you doing
1: i'm great chives uh again i know i always say this but every time we have playoff hockey and we're sitting and we're talking about it which is our passion i love it i couldn't be i couldn't be happier we have a lot like a lot, a lot to jump in and talk to. So let's talk some puck. So hopefully you guys have watched our playoff previews for round two. You know where me and Chives have stood before jumping into the series. So let's jump off first and start with the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. And in game three, the St. Louis Blues on home ice took a five-two loss to the Colorado Avalanche. And now the Avalanche will carry a two-to-one series lead heading into game four. And the Blues will have some major issues, Chives, to address moving forward. Your opening thoughts here? Jordan Winnington
0: going down. I think that really seals the fate of the Blues. Now, I know we have uh, some different thoughts and opinions on where this could go, but we saw Nazim Qadri. Uh, Bennington threw a water bottle at him during his postgame interview. If that doesn't happen, it would be interesting to see where this game would have gone. It's, it's become very dramatic. Uh, the storyline of the series now is that Binnington was knocked out by Kadri, even though defenseman kind of led Kadri into the hit. Kadri's now facing reported death threats and hate speech. Following that, this is going into game four where the series is two to one in the Avalanche favor. They lost Sam Girard to a broken sternum on a hit from Ivan Barbashev on the first shift of the game. So there's a lot going on to unpack in that series, but... I think Jordan Bennington, that injury is going to kill the St. Louis Blues. He has been their best performer in the playoffs. That was a surprise after Ville Husso took over the net for them halfway through the season. Husso didn't look too great in his Stanley Cup playoff debut. So, Steve, where do you, where do you think this series goes now that probably the best player in the entire series for both teams, is now injured.
1: Yeah, Bimington was, has been somewhat of a savior for the Blues. I mean, <laughs> throughout this whole playoffs, he's been amazing. And I feel like as soon as Bimington left the game, the Blues and the whole building just lost most of its energy. And the Blues, they kind of just lost it. And that just goes to show you how when you have your top goalie in net, how that goes a really long way and not only that, but Rousseau just couldn't pick it up together. I mean I mean he he just couldn't seem to stop the, the big rushes And when you take a look at it too, you know and I'm not blaming this fully on Rousseau because when you take a look at it as well, I said this to you earlier before, but the Blues couldn't take advantage of the Avalanche's short blue line. I mean this is a brutal injury for Gerard. He's been electrifying for the Avalanche. In the postseason so far. And so they're going to miss him throughout the rest of the playoffs. This is going to be pretty big. So the Avalanche were playing the rest of the game. with basically uh, uh, five defensemen. And the Blues could not take advantage of that. And also, Cam McCarr stepped up and had a monstrous game. I mean, tremendous. You, he didn't have, like, you look looking for the score sheet. You wouldn't be able to tell. But, I mean, just watching the game, you could tell that McCarr stepped all up. But not only that, but McCarr also did a great job of pushing the puck out of the Colorado defensive zone. And really, it was just a struggle for the Blues, who were just chasing the puck in their zone. We talked about how mobile
0: Colorado is and how mobile their defensemen are. Gerard is the number one mobile defenseman on that blue line. But as we would mentioned, and as you just mentioned, a player like Kale McCarr can step in and fill that role as well. He's that dominant. The numbers for the last five games of Bennington, A 9.38 save percentage and 30 saves in a win. A 9.62 save percentage, 25 saves. In game one against Colorado, a loss with 54 shots against. He makes 51 saves, a 9.44 save percentage. May 19th, 9.68 save percentage and 30 saves in a win. And then he's injured where he makes three saves in the game and then is subsequently injured. He has a 9.49 save percentage. And we'll finish the playoffs with a 1.7 goals against. That is incredible numbers. That Those numbers are some of the best in the entire postseason. With starters like Vasilevsky and Shesterkin playing really well. I think that Bennington, the injury really could seal the fate. I think the Blues, though, are a team that we have both chosen as a dark horse for the entirety of the season. And f- for the postseason,
1: really. More so you than me.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing a team now that... Their surprise player is suddenly knocked out. Can they take on an Avalanche team that's so high-powered, Steve?
1: Yeah. Now, listen, there's going to be another tough thing uh, aside from the defense because, as I just mentioned, the Blues were very sloppy with the puck. And, of course, they didn't throw enough on the Colorado defense, but that's credited to the Colorado defense. And I want to bring up another name, too. Josh Manson played great. You know, I mean, when you lose Gerard, they got quality minutes Either top defenders, and they did this so well. They all stepped up when they needed to, but listen, the Blues couldn't couldn't capitalize in the Colorado defensive zone. They lacked a uh, uh, a net uh, a present a, a strong presence in front of the net, and they just couldn't they couldn't get a rebound the whole game. Uh, they just couldn't get a rebound, especially on the quality good shots. Perron got a good quality shot. Tarasenko got a, a good quality shot that I remembered. But, I mean, Kemper was big in this game. He made a lot of clutch saves. uh, And he made the big saves. He made the big saves, and Jusso did not make them. And when it comes down to it, that's going to be the difference. So, the Avalanche... I said this to you before the episode. The Avalanche did what they needed to. They took back the home ice advantage within this series. Because now they need to win two more games with two more home games remaining necessary with Game 5 and Game 7. So, this, to me... This is going to be a very big uphill battle, and it's going to be tough for the Blues because with Bimington's in- injury, I think it's going to make it more difficult. I think the so we see moving forward in Games 4 and the rest of the series, so needs to play the same way he did with the first two games against the Minnesota Wild. And listen the Avalanche are not the same team as the Minnesota Wild and especially you mentioned how how much they have a their defensive pairings is so offensive Makar and Manson their defense does such a great job of chipping in on the offensive side so not only do you need to neutralize Colorado's top six but you also need to neutralize their defense which is going to be so tough so this is going to be in my opinion this is a hard series For the Blues to win. But listen, I don't want to count them out because they have the power. And we know, we know, I think both of us know that they have the power, Charles.
0: Yeah, now talk about home ice advantage. The Florida-Tampa series had a strange three-day rest. I believe it was three days. And now they're going into an elimination game tonight
1: on a back-to-back in Tampa. Do we know why that was? I think, I think Tampa had something, had some sort of event on one of the... I'm not sure. I think they, I think... They had something maybe it was a concert or something in Tampa so they couldn't play the games so they had to move it later. but very rarely now. I mean you're gonna have two games in a row, but not only that, but it's an elimination game for Florida which only makes it tougher. You don't get that extra day to practice to to recoup to to make some changes and Florida's gonna is coming in. And this is really hard. I don't think you could be down any worse than Florida is right now, Charles. I thought they were
0: pretty fraudulent in terms of how good they really were in the regular season. And clearly the playoff, the narrative right now is that the playoff experience of the Tampa Bay Lightning is coming through. Yes, that's true. And I think that's through action. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about playoff experience, we're talking about mentality, how you prepare how you act in the locker room, how you carry yourself, how you conduct interviews, how calm you stay, how, how you weather a storm in the playoffs—that's experience as well. But I think for the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's the action they take. Right before we started recording, we talked about how not one of their star players is underperforming. Vasilevsky has bounced back. He did well in the Tampa-Toronto uh, series. He's doing amazing in this Florida series. Their defense is locking down. So I think in terms of playoff experience, that's coming through with shot blocking, clamping down, neutralizing neutral zone entries for star players. You know, Florida is has the talent. They just don't seem to have that unity. Tampa's star players like Kucherov, Stamkos, who they didn't have 2 years ago on their first cup win, he's going crazy. Victor Hedman's having a great playoff. All their stars are coming through. I I think this is over tonight.
1: Yeah, wow, that's a tough take. Listen, I would like to say Florida would make it interesting, but I just think that playing a game four right after a game five, after you can't manage to win a game, you can't even manage to score a goal. I think it's tough, especially in in Tampa's building, and Tampa looks good in this series. They made a quick turnaround um, from the shaky series with the Leafs. And listen, in order to get back in the series, the Panthers need to do one thing. And they, they need to score goals. They need to score more. Listen, this is a team that, that led the NHL with a franchise record in goals this season. And Florida has a lot of guys that are 20-plus goal scorers. And they only have three goals in this series, Chives. This is very disappointing. And just watching this game, Huberdeau, Giroux, all their top dogs. Even Ekblad's been a little shaky. Like they are just not generating quality opportunities. And it also hurts when you have a guy like Vasilevskiy in net and boy chives, he has been outstanding. After winning game seven against the Leafs in round one, he has just given up one goal in four starts. How about that? Vasilevskiy's been dominant in net so moving forward, uh, it's it's a very it's very important that Florida has to get they have to com- uh, apply more pressure. I feel like as soon as they they also trying to do too much, and as soon as they if they get guys in front of the net, um, I, I saw that they were trying to get Marchman out in front of the net, uh, which is co- which was causing a couple good opportunities. But Vasilevsky just made the big saves when he needed to. Yeah, I think
0: Vasilevsky has definitely been a difference. Not that Florida's played that well, but he stepped up, and as we mentioned, I thought he looked a little more human in that Toronto series. But it looks like he's really back to that dominant form, and that's not even just a danger for Florida tonight, and if the series is extended, but for the for how however far they go in this postseason, I think it's dangerous.
1: Yeah, it, it is dangerous, and I know a lot of people don't want to see a three P. But listen, Tampa Tampa looks good right now. I wouldn't say they're a lock-lock um, for the Eastern Conference Final, but Florida's in a hole, Chives. It'll be yeah, interesting to see. down 3 nothing's a tough comeback. Listen, you just got to take it one game at a time. And also, my last point on this is I talked about this uh, in the previews for Game 7 before, but Tampa's defense has really helped. And it helps Vasilevsky when you receive a lot of help from your players in front of you. And Ryan McDonough and Victor Hedman, especially with blocking shots and just being physical in front of the net, definitely helping Vasilevsky out.
0: Yeah, 100%. We saw that McDonough block last game in Game 3. Those are the difference makers in a game sometimes, especially on Florida's top talent. We have Game 4 tonight for that series. We had Game 3 for the Rangers and Hurricanes last night at Madison Square Garden. Both teams are great at home. Both teams struggle on the road. The home team won again last night. The New York Rangers won. Not a lot of goal scoring in this series, though. And I think that's what the difference is going to be. We talked about the style of play and the structure of play in our preview. But, Steve, where does
1: this series go heading into Game 4 tomorrow night? Well, if if any of you watched our player preview, we called it. We knew this was going to be a very tight series. And it's definitely been. It's been on the low scoring um, in terms of the scoring in all three games. But it's funny. It's low scoring, but the Rangers and Hurricanes, it's not like they're not doing anything because they've been generating a lot of chances, especially Carolina putting up 40-plus shots on Shosturkin in Game 3. So I think when you take a look at it, in, in in the let's break it down. I think the X factor for me in this series has definitely been special teams. The Rangers definitely, obviously, we know they've been one of the best penalty They have one of the best power plays in the league this season. But also, flip it on the other side, Carolina's got one of the best penalty kills in the league. And you can tell because they were giving the Rangers some trouble uh, when they were on the penalty, when they were on the power play. Um, But listen, I think the puck movement in this game has been pretty crisp. And uh, a lot of few shots, uh, a few shots have gone through the net, but each team generating a lot of quality chances. And the goaltending in this series has been outstanding on both sides. Igor Shosturkin and Antti Ranta both coming up and making a lot of big saves. Uh, At moments, both goaltenders weren't really tested a lot, but they stepped up and they made a lot of big saves when they needed it. And definitely moving forward, they're going to be big keys in the series. I think they're X-Factors. The Rangers at times
0: struggled to get the puck out of the zone, but I thought in Game 3, they were able to, I think... For overall heading into this series and now that we're entering game four i think the rangers are going to win on home ice and tie the series up my prediction is that from there the series is anybody's the hurricane struggle on the road that's no doubt so that's game four is on the road for them i think any team that can win an away game will probably win the series the x factors goaltending the structure of their play. I think if the Hurricanes are able to dominate again, they're able to get that four check, a lot of shots on net. And if they're able to crack Shesterkin more than they were able to the last few games, they'll probably win. We saw very low scoring games. Game one was an overtime game that was a two to one victory. Game two was really a one nothing game. The Aho empty netter was scored very late, and Game three was a two two to one game, and there was an empty net in that game as well. So it was three to one, but it's really two goals against Ranta, so it's, yep. a, it's really a two to one victory. Yep. The big dogs for the Rangers came up, I think, a little bit more in Game three, and that's that's what we talked about in the Toronto series, and that's what we're ta- going to be talking about with this series. Can Svechnikov break the ice? Can Kreider break the ice? We know they're going to be close games. Those are the players that you're counting on to, to, to come through.
1: Yeah. Um, I think uh, Carolina's top players, their top dogs. Listen, we saw yesterday, uh, you, you saw a complete full game from Zibanejad flying up and down the ice. Mm-hmm. Kreider, too. Um, and I think be, even up to this point, even though Carolina has a series lead, I don't even think we've seen the best of Carolina's top dogs. Uh, I mentioned to you Tara Viner before the game. He's kind of been a no-show. Um, the, I mean, the only one to me has been Ajo. Um, Jarvis looks great. But I, when we moving forward here to Game 4, Game 5, for the rest of the series, because I think the series is going to go longer than the Tampa series, the Hurricanes' power play, they have to be a momentum earner because they have been looking dead. I mean, the Rangers are looking like they're the team that has the best penalty kill in the series, and Carolina has not been able to, uh, to capitalize on the power play and they've just looking they've just been looking dead at, at all. So they definitely need to turn this thing this, this around. and game four on the road is no better place to address this because Carolina is going to have to find a way to win on the road home they're outstanding there's just something about and i do have to say i think carolina is the best team in the league at home they're just electrifying but it's crazy because they could go from the best team to the worst team real fast on the road so that's something they definitely need to address if the hurricanes can snag at least one game on the road i think they'll be set in this series James. they're a
0: plus 15 at home and a minus eight on the road in terms of goal scoring I agree, and I think it it's all going to come down to how well the teams can play on the road to dictate this series. Game four tomorrow night at MSG. Can the Rangers not up the series, or will we see the Hurricanes win their first road game of the postseason? Moving on to the Battle of Alberta. This best has for to last. be yeah best for last. You, I <laughs> I have not been able to get enough of it. We've seen hat tricks from two players that chirped each other to no end in Game Two. We saw a nine to six Game One. Goaltending from Mike Smith last night that looked like this thirty-year-old, thirty-three-year-old goaltender is going to outduel a Vesna finalist. We saw uh, plays that have been dirty, cheap. A Lucic run into Mike Smith last night. A huge victory within a second of Vander Kane' hat trick of the postseason. He now leads the postseason in goals. Connor McDavid has twenty-four points in the postseason already, which is. Five more points than Sidney Crosby had when he won the Conn Smythe in 2016 as the MVP of the postseason. steve what are your thoughts on this series? What are your thoughts on Game 3
1: moving into Game 4? Oh, this is just, uh, there's no better night than, and uh, there's no better point in the day than ending your night by watching the Battle of Alberta. I mean, this is fantastic. I love it. But I do want to start off with that, with the Lucic and Mike Smith, because I'm really curious to where you where you stand on this. Uh, because when you first see that It's like, whoa, 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 whoa But to me, I listen, I might share a different opinion Than a lot of other hockey people out there But I don't think that's that dirty of a hit I think that if Lucic wants to absolutely demolish Mike Smith I think he absolutely could have And we know Lucic But I don't think that was a that bad of a hit I, I Obviously, listen, he's in his way He's not getting out of the way It's just impossible for him to do that so I think he pulled back, and of course, I think it was a combination of the momentum of the speed that he was coming at and, of course, the boards being there. So I don't think that this hit was that bad of a hit. What do you think? Obviously, it's the goaltender, so obviously any hit involved with a goaltender, you don't like to see it. But my point is, you really can't prevent that.
0: I just think with it's similar to why Kadri is receiving so much hate right now, and I don't think Kadri should be. But we've seen a controversy in each series, which I love. It's what makes playoff hockey. Me too, me too. You know, I have a flair for the dramatic with that stuff. But I I don't think Kadri had much control over the hit on Bennington. I think Lucic had... As a skater, you're responsible. When they talk about high sticking penalties, even though a high stick could look unintentional, you have to be responsible for your stick when you're on the ice. And I think you have to be responsible to when you're skating towards a trapezoid and the goaltender's playing the puck. So I don't think, I agree that it could have been worse, but it also could have been avoided if you're the skater. So I, I think that's where, where I stand on that. Um, again, I don't have credentials in being an official or... I'm not working in the, uh, dis- the the decision room in Toronto, hmm. but that's kind of where I stand. Uh, I just think as a skater, you have to be responsible, especially in a rivalry series. I think that's where I stand on that because you know it's only gonna blow up in in a series like this.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's been electric. Tradition uh, transitioning from Calgary to Edmonton's been electric, and listen, the Oilers came out strong in Game Three and. You knew that they were going to have a good game as soon as Evander came out and hits post on Jacob Markstrom within two minutes of the game. You knew that was bound to happen. And listen, because the Flames, the Flames got off to a really fast start within the first two games of the series. So the Oilers wanted to neutralize that. But not only that, but come out with their own fast start, and that's exactly what they did. Evander Kane with the hat trick, and I don't know how many times I could say this uh, this season in general – I was definitely wrong with the Oilers picking up Kane. I definitely didn't think he would have an impact, and he's been money. He's made such an impact on this team. I mean, if Evander Kane is not on this team, I don't know if Edmonton's in this position because even in the regular season, he scored three-plus hat-tricks with them, and he's just been outstanding, and not only that, but just a big physical presence as well, John I don't
0: think that... When I state that Evander Kane isn't the sole engine for them right now, that's a a false statement by any means. I think the engine's Connor McDavid, and I think that Evander Kane's just taken off from that point. Kane, all three goals were assisted by their top players, McDavid or Dreisaitl, who also had great games. I'm starting to really believe in Edmonton as a contending team. That's interesting. I'm starting to believe. I know we have different opinions on that. I don't think it takes away from the Flames game, but... I've really, I mean, McDavid, this series, I think against LA, he took over in game seven and I brought up in our previews, if he can take over the series, they might win the series. And so far he's looked really good. Now on the flame side of things, I just think they couldn't get going. They suffered with taking penalties and then they just got too far behind the ball. The stretch where Evander Kane scored the hat trick too. It was a natural hat trick in six minutes. You have six minutes, a uh, six-minute mental lapse, and you're already out of the game because you're down for nothing. Plus, then they had the Johnny Goodreau-Macachuk two-on-one that Mike Smith robbed them. If they score that goal, at least they're within, it. at that point, it would cut the deficit three to one. Maybe they come back with the way the goal scoring's been. This series is wide open to me, but I do think Edmonton's really stepped up, and I actually think they look about even with Calgary. They play great at home, too. What's your thoughts on how the Flames can respond in Game Four?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think moving forward for the Flames, definitely they need to get off to a fast start. I, it's it's the trend here in this whole throughout this whole series that the team that gets off to the fast start is obviously going to have the advantage, and it's proven to be that it is when the team that scores first has in, in this game instead of going up by one, that one goal feels like two or three goals, especially in this series. Um, and I'm still waiting. For you know, for the Flames to after they come out and have a great game to to carry that momentum because, and we've seen this in the Dallas series as well, they, after coming off of a great game, their offense just, I don't know what it is, but they just fall asleep. They just fall asleep. And I'm not saying that the Oilers can't do it. They obviously can win, but especially in, in the series against the Kings. Mike Smith, and especially the Oilers too, are so inconsistent. I can say that I like what I'm seeing from McDavid and Drisaito, and the offense is doing much better, especially the defense as well. But Mike Smith and the defense too, is just so inconsistent, especially Calgary is so explosive. We've seen game one. They could be so electrifying. So moving forward, the Flames, to answer your question, they need to get off to a fast start, and especially in game four, because Edmonton's just gonna feed off being on home ice and their top players. You talk about we talk about the Rangers and Zibanijad and, and the Hurricanes and Teravine and, and Ajo and their top players. Top players need to show up and the Oilers are getting a more than better performance in McDavid and Draisaitl and everyone else right now. So for me, the Oilers need to lock in on their defense and just just keep controlling the puck because anytime McDavid has the puck, they're going to run the tables and take over the game. Yeah, it's their speed game in transition. You saw how fast on all
0: three of those goals by Kane. McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane were able to get up the ice to make the play. And the Flames look like they had no answer to that. So it's going to be interesting because I think Jay Woodcroft is going to go with that line again. That was structured for this series. They put that line together for this series. Normally, we either see McDavid at center as the 1C and Dreisaitl as the 2C to kind of split their skill level and talents. They move Pooley off the top line and they put Evander Kane on the top line and they move Drat to the wing. I don't know if that was because because of a shift from the power play to a five-on-five five play, but that came into this series. They constructed the line for this series and it looks like it's really taking over and it's really working in Edmonton's favor. I don't think it's the only driver. It's It's driving their play. I don't think it's the only reason they're succeeding, but it's Definitely leaving the flames stunned, yeah. So
1: it is, and it'll be only it just adds to the element of uh, that's intriguing to us. Uh, so we'll see how they handle that uh, moving forward. Uh, before we wrap up the episode, on a quick note, the Penguins, after taking a defeating game seven loss to New York Rangers, they just re signed Brian Russ the other day, six years, $31.2 million. He will be locked up until 20. 28, and it's obviously clear the plans now that the Penguins have is that they did not want to break up that top line that they have of Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, and Brian Russ, who have been electrifying throughout the first round. The Rangers had a lot of problems neutral- neutralizing them, so they did not want to break that line up. But moving forward in the offseason, it'll be pretty interesting to see. Malkin and Letang, that's a pretty hefty contract for handing out to Brian Russ so it's going to be interesting to see what is in store for Malkin, what's in store for Latang. Can they afford to get to retain both? And if you had to pick one out of those two, who would it be? I had to choose one. I know who I would pick. I think despite
0: his injury history and my lack of fanfare for his consistency with being injured and consistency as a player, it probably has to be Chris Latang because they lack defensive talent and i think malkin is just beyond the point where if he was still playing like he was in his prime i thought in his prime he was like so close to an ovechkin type player like he was so good he's not at that playing level anymore and i don't think he could return to that so i think you have to let Malkin walk, if anything, if you have to choose, but we'll see how they
1: structure contracts. I- I'd agree with you. I would have to go with Letang over Malkin too, but we'll see, I don't know what the Penguins is thinking because not only that, but they have a lot of other guys. I could sit you here and reach you the whole list of guys that they have out. And it's a lot of guys that are gonna be upcoming free agents, so it'll be interesting to see. But nonetheless, Brian Rust staying until 2028 in Pittsburgh. Mark Giordano also signed a two-year
0: contract a hometown discount for one point six million over those two years. He played, I thought he played really well for Toronto in the postseason. I was surprised. He went from a really great Flames team to the Seattle Kraken and then was moved at the deadline. I thought he played really well for a team that is notoriously struggled in the postseason. He I thought he stepped into that role perfectly. He brought that veteran presence and I think for some of the defensemen they picked up in the past. He's probably been the most effective uh, acquisition.
1: Yeah, and, and not only that, but it was a very cheap addition too. My only question, again, I'm not a big fan of of people, especially when you're 38 years old. Giordano will be 40 in two years. I'm not sure if he will play the same way that he played. I will agree with you. He did have a good playoff series. Yeah, with the short sample size. But again, when you're, when you're getting that old and you have to play a full season, but not only that, a full season plus another season, it's tough and it takes, it, it takes a toll on you, and you don't recoup as fast as you were when you were 25. So it's going to be tough, but nonetheless, I think it's a good addition, um, at least for next year for the Leafs.
0: Agreed, Steve. Follow our Instagram, follow our Twitter. We have content coming out for that. Look at our playoff previews. We recorded videos. We're thinking of doing more video content, for upcoming episodes or for series previews and recaps so please let us know what you think of that subscribe to our website if you subscribe you will get the episode in your email and listen to us on spotify and apple music because we are also there you can follow us and get the notification
1: soon as an episode comes out yes and also let us know what you guys think of these controversies we've talked a lot about them with oilers and and Tampa Lightning, all these controversies. Let's know what you guys think because we'd like to know if you guys share the same opinions as uh, Chives and I. So that'll be interesting to see. Enjoy the game fours tonight. Will Tampa and Florida have another game the next time we have an episode? Who knows? Always remember, it's just the luck of the puck.